Good morning, everyone. This is Dr. Patricia Pay, and you are tuning in to Therapy in a Nutshell here on KCNR Radio, 96.5 FM, 1460 AM, your talk radio. Hey, we are live today on the air, so if this show resonates with you and you'd like to make a comment or ask a question or get a little bit of free therapy, uh, feel free to call in. Uh, the phone number here at the station is area code 530-605-4567. That's 530-605-4567. Feel free to call in. You don't have to be on the air. My producer, Jared, will take your question and give it to me, and I'll answer it. Or uh, if you're welcome to be on the air, you don't have to give your real name. It uh, doesn't matter. We're Anonymity is fine. It's helping people and getting the questions in and getting them answered. Okay, today we are doing a show that I call Anticipatory Anxiety. Now, those of you that are familiar with the archives of my show and my podcasts, uh, there is a show on anxiety, but that's uh, people that are anxious and, and they tend toward anxiety and all sorts of stuff they do. And anyone who is an anxious person also does anticipatory anxiety. If you're an anxiety-ridden person, it's hard not to do the anticipatory part. But the reason I'm separating this show out is because even people who would think that they're very steadfast and very calm and they're not um, over-worriers or over-anxious people will still do anticipatory anxiety because they think it's a good thing to do. And they don't really understand exactly what it is or how not to do it or what it does to them and the people around them. So I'm separating this show out and helping you understand exactly what is anticipatory anxiety, how do we tend to do it, uh, why, what do we think we're doing when we do it, and then how to learn that you are doing it and stop it so that you don't have to do it as much or as hard or as regularly, and it can give you some more peace of mind. So if you know somebody who does this, feel free to recommend the show to them. They can tune in later to my podcast on Anchor, or they can go to kcnr1460.com and click on the archives and listen to it there as well. Okay, so let's talk about just what is anticipatory anxiety. And what I call it is a bad case of the what-ifs. So again, this is this is people that this can be people that who are not necessarily big warriors who are pretty well grounded, but they will find themselves doing the what ifs. And I I want to give you an example. In fact, when I started started calling this anticipatory anxiety was quite a number of years ago. I've been in private practice for about 34 years, and uh, I see people with all kinds of ailments. But probably 10 or 15, 20 years ago, probably 20 years ago. One day I was getting ready for to go somewhere. I had to be at a meeting. I remember that. And um, I realized I was going to be late. So I wasn't late yet. Say the meeting was at 10 o'clock, and I knew I had to leave the house by 9.30 to get there for the 10 o'clock meeting. And it's probably 8.30, and I recognize I'm going to be late, getting two kids out of the house, all the, all the stuff that goes with it. And so... I started kind of angsting out that I was going to be late. And then it dawned on me, well, you're not late yet. What are you getting all upset about? And I thought, well, I'm going to be late. Oh, my God, going to be late. And so I was kind of tweaking and worrying and started, you know, trying to hustle the kids along, which probably wasn't pretty. And I was trying to make it happen, and I was recognizing. I was like standing back looking at myself going, well, you're not late yet. 
Nobody even knows you're late. So I remember getting in the car, and I'm driving, and I'm going, you know, you're still not late yet. It was like probably 10 to 10, and I was going to be at least 10 minutes late. So I said, how about this? When you are late, you can start freaking out. And I remember kind of laughing to myself, like I was talking to myself, for starters, and that made me laugh. And then I said, you're not, you know, no one knows you're late yet, so it's only 10 to 10. So when you are late, you can start freaking out. So 10 o'clock hit, and I went, well, you're actually still not late because you're supposed to be there now. So nobody knows you're late yet, so you can still wait a little longer to start freaking out. So I'm joking around with myself going, well, exactly when do people know you're late that you should start freaking out that now that they know you're late and they think you're walking in here late. And then I started asking myself, well, what exactly are you worried about? You're almost never late for stuff. Why are you worried that they're, what what do you think is going to happen? The world's going to blow up? What? So I really answered myself and I said, well, probably nothing. (laughs) And so I figured the time that I was gave myself permission to start freaking out that I was late was like 10 after 10 because that's when people would start to say, hey, where's Patty? She's not here yet. And I'm laughing at myself. And then I said, what if you just went in there and said, I'm sorry, I'm late? And I'm I'm not one to make a bunch of excuses. So I walked in there at 10 after 10 and I said, hey, I apologize, everybody, for being late. I just couldn't get my butt out the door. And I'm sorry. It's not like me to be late. And they all went, okay. And the meeting went on. So it was a huge lesson for me because I can't tell you how many times when I anticipated that something was going to go wrong, I would allow myself to get all wound up, at least all wound up inside. Even if I didn't get wound up outside, I got wound up inside. And my kids would probably tell you, oh, no, she would get wound up outside and start, you know, get your butts going. We got to get in the car and, you know, doing the mom thing. But it was an eye-opener for me to say, why do we give ourselves permission to freak out if we think something's going to happen or we worry something is going to happen? I, I watch this in my private practice with kids, or not even just kids, people in college, who have test-taking anxiety. They get so anxious taking a test that they actually go into a whiteout and they can't remember anything, let alone their name. You know, they can't remember the the questions. So they start anticipating a test, and they and once they have test taking anxiety, it takes on a life of its own. Now they're afraid it's going to be again, and they're going to fail, or there's going to they, they're going to blank out. So they anticipate the anxiety that they're going to feel, and it really messes with them. The other place I see people do test take or um, anticipatory anxiety is with medical issues. The doctor calls and says, um, we need you back in because your mammogram had a problem. Your pap smear was positive. Um, the colonoscopy needs to be done again. Um, they tell you something that makes you go, oh, wow, what could be wrong? And they start freaking out. So I really give this a lot of thought, and I really help people recognize when they truly are anxious about something that is happening and when they are truly anxious about something that they think might happen, a bad case of the what-ifs. So the school people that are worried about test-taking will either overstudy 
because they're trying to quell their anxiety. Or they will say, forget it, I'm going to fail anyway, I don't care, why do I even bother? And they go into, you know, I'm, I don't want to do this sort of mode and pull back. And then the medical issue people either just kind of freak out and worry, and sometimes they tell everybody, and sometimes they tell no one, they worry silently. And sometimes they do this thing that a doctor friend of mine calls Dr. Google. And that's where they get on Google and they start diagnosing their own illness. And every doctor I know says, oh, my gosh, when people come in and they have Googled their symptoms, we have to waste 10 or 15 minutes with them telling me how what if they have some rare illness that we haven't ever seen. And they say it's it's just it's kind of a huge waste of time. And the biggest thing is they pressured themselves as soon as they started playing Dr. Google. So those are ways that people do anticipatory anxiety. All right. Now, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, I want to explain to you what exactly anticipatory is about and why you think it's helpful. Okay, going to go break. Be back in a minute. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patty, Dr. Patricia Bay, and you are listening to the incredibly beautiful CD called Smoky Mountain Dreams. Randy McGinnis, Native American flutist, award-winning, numerous awards, plays all over the world. He's playing with a classical cellist named Stacy Nichol Miller of the Knoxville Symphony. And this CD is so gorgeous. My 90-year-old mom listened to this CD every night to go to bed, never heard the last half of it. She only heard the first half because it would put her to sleep. Peaceful, relaxing, beautiful music. Thank you, Randy McGinnis, for allowing us to use your gorgeous music on Therapy in a Nutshell. It really helps set the tone for people to relax. And on this show, Anticipatory Anxiety, that's probably a really good thing. All right, so we are live, and um, I wanted to devote the third section of the show for anybody that might want to call in and talk about their anticipatory anxiety problem. Uh, But if you don't call in, I've got something to talk about. But uh, the area code is 530 Phone number 605-4567. So that number again, 530-605-4567, and we're here in the studio live. So uh, call in with questions or comments, and we can devote a little bit of time to your issue of anticipatory anxiety. And in you being vulnerable and talking, it will help more people than you know. Okay, so we are talking about what exactly was anticipatory anxiety in the first section of the show. But I want to tell you, help explain to you, why do we get anxious in advance? What it is, What is it that we're trying to do? I think of it as a bad case of the what-ifs. And most of us are good at that. What if this happens? What if that happens? Oh, my gosh, what if that happens? Uh, any of us that are parents probably have what-ifing down to an art because – what our kids could possibly do is often far scarier than what they actually do or uh, we're afraid they're going to do things we did when we were kids. So, you know, we have a lot of information there. So the what-ifs are I want to be anxious in advance. And the idea is we think that if we can be 
anticipate anticipatory anxious, we can anticipate what's going to happen to us, and therefore we can be on top of it. Now, why do we need to be on top of it? Well, sometimes it's something as simple as I don't want to be made a fool of. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to be hurt again. I'm guarding my heart. Um, I don't want to fail the test again. I don't want to be late and have people not like me. So the theme we're getting to here is anticipatory anxiety is about fear. So when you say, I'm feeling really anxious, I'm worried about this, going back in and doing the mammogram again, I'm doing. I'm worried about the colonoscopy, um, I'm worried I'm going to fail the test, uh, I'm, I'm worried that he or she is going to leave me and my heart will be broken again and I can't handle that. So when you stop and say, what are you worrying about? The next question that you want to ask yourself is, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid will happen? So let's go back to my example in the beginning of me a long time ago getting anxious about being late. When I said to myself, what are you afraid of? If you're 10 minutes late, what's going to happen? Is the world going to blow up? Or is everybody going to hate you? What's going to happen? And I knew it wasn't anything like that. It was subtle. It was little. Um, I don't want to be seen as rude. I don't want them thinking that I didn't give this meeting the importance that it deserved. Um, I don't like it when other people are late, and I kind of go, oh, you know, why are you late? And so I was afraid of that kind of subtle, quiet judgment, and it made me nervous. And then when I really sat with it later after I figured out, you know, come on, Patty, let it go. Uh, Just go in there and apologize for being late. When I sat down with it later and I realized I had a long history of being nervous about being late, and it was easy to trace back. My dad was a commander in the Navy. We were a military family, and that if you weren't 10 minutes early, you were late. Anybody that's either been in the military or has military experience will know that that is a rule. If you are not 10 minutes early, you are late. And for many people, it's even more than 10 minutes. So that was kind of burned into my consciousness. And it was subtle. It was kind of bubbling up there from deep inside. And so I got worried. And when I said, what am I afraid of? I had to look at, it was fear of rejection. I'm going to look disrespectful, um, unorganized, like I'm not giving this meeting the respect that it's due or my my colleagues that are there waiting for me. Um, I'm going to look bad. And what if that happens? Then they won't like me. I'll be rejected. And then what if they reject me? Well, uh, I they won't like me. They, um, I won't get the respect that I think I must deserve or something. So it was kind of this free, rambling, unspecified nervousness about being rejected. When I really sat down and looked at it, I said, are they going to reject you for that, even if you go in and own it and apologize? Yeah. Probably not. How do you feel when somebody's late and they walk in and say, I'm so sorry I'm late. I got, I couldn't get my butt out the door. You kind of have respect for them for just owning it. And if they come in and they say, I'm so sorry I'm late. It's your fault over there. <laughs> it's my kid's fault. It was the dog's fault. Something else. You don't have as much respect for them because you can tell they're blaming it. So when we own it, we tend to garner respect from people. So it was able. I was able to say, you know, You're not really going to get rejected for this. And if somebody 
wants to throw you away because they don't think you're good enough because of this. All right, that's their prerogative. I don't need to be attached to that. So I was able to kind of relax with that. But let's say your anticipatory anxiety is about the fear of death or dying. Let's say your mammogram came back bad or, you know, you've got to have a colonoscopy because something's wrong or you're, uh, you know, the dentist tells you you need $20,000 worth of dental work and you're worrying and, you know, you're scared and all of that. Often what we are afraid of is death or dying. And the reason I say it that way is because the fear of dying is a little bit different than the fear of death. Some people have little or no fear of being dead. They have a good spiritual foundation. They know where they're going. They they have a sense of what happens when you actually die. And they're not real afraid of that. Um, and what I find is people that have zero spiritual foundation um, sometimes can be fearful because the unknown is scaring them a lot. So uh, that can be an, an issue. But that's more of a spiritual issue for people. But the fear of dying can affect even people who have a very firm foundation of what will happen to them when they're dead. Because how they're actually going to get dead is what worries them. How am I going to die painfully of cancer? Um, Does this mammogram thing mean I'm going to have breast cancer and I'm going to have to deal with that? I've seen friends deal with that. That's so horrendous. Oh, my gosh, could I withstand that? What if I left my kids? And they start going into this, what would happen and how they would die. So the anticipatory anxiety is about everything they've heard of, know of, seen people go through, uh, the idea of dying in that manner, and they get scared. And so when they get scared, they they very seldom, I see very few people who can say, ah, this mammogram thing scares me because if I have breast cancer, that would be really horrible and that'd be scary and I... So I'm nervous. That would be very grounded in a very real situation. But people who just get anticipatory anxiety start angsting out all over the place. They can't sleep. They're worrying. They're maybe drinking too much. They're they're nervous. Their stomach's all upset. Um, they're running down every rabbit trail they can think of saying, what if this and what if that? And oh, my gosh, this and oh, my gosh, that. So the anticipatory anxiety of Medical issues as a fear often are the fear of either being dead, dying, being death, or how you're going to get there, dying. So when we say, what exactly am I anxious about? And then we say, what am I afraid is going to happen? And we look at the idea of, am I afraid of rejection? Which is actually afraid of abandonment. If you reject me, you won't love me and you'll leave me. Or is it that I'm afraid of death or dying? Those are some really simple ways to ground yourself. I'm anxious. I'm nervous. I've got this thing coming up. What am I afraid of? And then answer yourself. And and not, you don't ask the question, what are you afraid of in a nasty way? It's like, all right, what am I fearing right now, right here, right now? And you answer yourself kindly. So the idea that anticipatory anxiety is a call to consciousness as opposed to a call to action to run around like a chicken with your head cut off and say, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? What if, what if, what if? Calms you down a little bit, especially if you're a person who is not anxious about everything anyway. If you're basically a calm person and now you find yourself 
with anticipatory anxiety about something, it's really calming to say, what am I afraid of? What would happen if that happened? And you have to recognize that I'm not talking about avoidance or denial. Like, for example, you get a mammogram that comes back and, and or your, your wife or somebody gets one and, and you're going, whoa, that's no nerve-wracking. That's normal response, isn't it? All of a sudden, playing Dr. Google and looking up every possible thing that can happen with breast cancer and and uh, what are the horrible things and what's the uh, percentage of people with bad mammograms that end up going on to blah, blah, blah. You're not necessarily helping yourself. And so if you're, we're not talking about you doing avoidance and denial. We're talking about you just staying centered and saying, okay, this positive mammogram is a call to consciousness. The nervousness I'm feeling is normal. So I, the call to consciousness is I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to show up. I'm going to, I'm going to do the test. I'm going to follow through with this. And the idea that I will deal with the situation when it comes is how I'm going to handle this. So we're going to go to break. And when we come back, I'm going to give you some more coping skills and help you understand a little more of why anticipatory anxiety is not necessarily the thing you should be doing when there's trouble. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. I was getting lost for a moment in that song. That is from Smoky Mountain Dreams, and it's called Prayers Over a Morning Breeze. And that's Randy McGinnis's CD, uh, Native American Flute Music, and he's playing with a classical cellist from the Knoxville Symphony, Stacy Nichol Miller. It's a beautiful, beautiful CD called Smoky Mountain Dreams. Um, all right, so... Uh, we're talking about anticipatory anxiety, and I want to give you some coping skills for it. But before I do that, one of the things I like people to do when they are being anxious in an anticipatory fashion, and what I mean by that is it hasn't happened yet. You're thinking it just might or what if. So I want you to stop for a minute and say, do I tend to get anticipatory anxious about myself or about other people. And the reason I say that is because often I see people that are pretty grounded with themselves, but they can get really anxious for other people or about other people. Now, even those kind of people that get anxious for others can get anxious like if they get a bad mammogram or they have medical information and they can get worried or they have to take some big, huge test or something. But put that aside. On a general life basis, what I would recognize is I didn't particularly get anxious about stuff for myself, occasionally like the dumb thing about being late, but I could get anxious about my kids, and that's because I'm a mom, and I, you know, you think your kids grow up at 18, but guess what? You worry about them even when they're older, <laughs> because they're your kids. You never stop. So I could get anxious for them, or about them, or worry that what if this happened, or what if that happened. I mean, the biggest fear of every parent is what if your kid dies. That's always kind of an underlying anxiety. So we worry about them getting hurt, or not driving safely, or doing something stupid like getting in the car with the drunk driver. Um, so we worry. 
And that is an anticipatory kind of worry. So one of my best coping skills when I would do that anticipatory worry thing about my kids is that I would do this thing I called send them angels. And it was my way of doing a quick prayer. I'd Like I'd worry about them driving down Placer in the dark and a deer running out and hitting them. Yeah, because that's what moms worry about. You know, I just would say, what if, oh my gosh, be careful the deer, don't drive too fast, you know, things like that. So what I would do when I'd find myself worrying is I'd stop and I'd say, okay, God, put some angels on the wheels of those tires and keep them safe. And then I'd try to let it go. And so over the years, I have taught that technique to so many people. And they go, oh, yeah. And the reason it helps is because you're actually doing something. It's very hard to say stop doing that. Like, stop worrying. Stop being anxious. Because you tell a mom, they're not going to hit a deer. Well, you don't know that. A deer could run out in front of them. (laughs) All all you parents out there are going, yeah, (laughs) we know that. So to tell somebody to stop worrying or stop being anticipatorily anxious doesn't work. But to give somebody something to do helps calm their mind. And it worked really well for me. So I started teaching it to people. And so many people have used it. So anticipatory worry in an airplane. You're getting ready to take off and part of you gets nervous and you go, well, could the plane crash? And they go, no, 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 plane can't crash. Well, sometimes planes crash. And you're trying to make yourself stop doing that. So, again, stop doing that. It's difficult. So I tell people, when you find yourself being anticipatorily anxious, put angels there. So I would tell people, you know, just say a little prayer and say, please put angels on the wings of this plane and get everybody there safely. And then pick up your magazine and start reading it. Because there's something you can do. So recognize when you're anticipatory in your anxiety Worrying about your kids, worrying about other people, worrying about something happening, send angels. And put that into any religious spiritual belief form that you have and send angels. And even if you call yourself agnostic or whatever, you know, to visualize some powerful positive energy of the universe, universe supporting that car, that airplane, your kids, whatever, gives you a peace of mind that you can kind of smile about. So that's a coping skill, but it's also that I want you to really stop and figure out, are you worried about yourself? Are you worried about somebody else? Because when we worry about somebody else, we are often taking on something of theirs that is not ours to deal with. And the way that I like to teach people to think about that is I say to them, is that your monkey? You know, we all have monkeys on our back that we have to feed and water. I, I don't think I've ever met anybody yet that has zero concerns or baggage or monkeys that they feed and water. But, you know, you've got enough to deal with with feeding and watering our own monkeys. We don't need to be taken on somebody else's. So when you are worrying about your adult kids and if they're handling their finances well or are they raising their kids right or um, are they fighting too much or... Are they okay? I mean, those are things that adult parents worry about with their adult kids. Is that your monkey to worry about? You can't fix their marriage. You can't tell them how to raise their kids. You can't discipline your grandkids because you're not there 24-7. So when you recognize that's not my monkey, that's theirs, the idea is telling yourself, stand down, back off, feed and water your own monkeys, 
because you probably got enough of them yourself, and stop trying to feed and water their monkeys. So that worry for somebody else because you want to fix it or you want to give them your advice, you want to tell them how they're doing it wrong, just creates anxiety for you and usually annoys the heck out of the other people because they don't really want your input. So stopping and saying, is it my anxiety or is it yours? Am I worried for you or am I worried about me? And then going back to that too, because say you're worried about your adult kids fighting a lot and you go, well, if they get, they fight a lot, then they get, they might get divorced. And then what if I can't see my grandkids? And what if this happens? And what if that happens? And it is about you. You're worried about loss and heartbreak and it affecting your grandkids or it's affecting your own children. And, and you start to worry that that's going to affect your relationship with them and your peace of mind and your happiness. So the bottom line with anxiety is it will always come back to us worrying about us because our me filter is in the middle of everything we do. You think you can get rid of your me filter? And I'm sorry. It's there all the time. But what we want to do with anticipatory anxiety is recognize that we're labeling it as worrying about them, whoever them happens to be. And we need to stop and say, that's not my monkey. I can't worry about it. They have to do that themselves. And then it's okay to say, well, what would happen to me if that happened? Well, I'm worried about pain and heartbreak and loss and that killing me emotionally. So it's okay to recognize that. So how many times do you see people fear something, like be anxious about something, but then do nothing about it? Like, for example, somebody who gets a uh, report from the doctor, your medical tests come back and you've got super high cholesterol and they're worried about your blood pressure and they want you to lose some weight and they tell you you probably should think about quitting smoking. And they have a lot of anxiety about it because they go back to that fear of death or dying, but then they do nothing. They don't change anything. They don't change their diet. They don't stop smoking. They don't have a wake-up call. And they just keep doing what they're doing. So you can still be anxious and immobilize yourself. So I want you to, to get a pen and write this down. Avoidance is not a coping skill. I'm giving you a pause there. I want you to write that down. Avoidance is not a coping skill. Okay? And neither is denial, by the way. So the biggest therapeutic issue I see undeveloped people come into therapy with is denial and avoidance. And often the first part of individual therapy is cutting through denial and avoidance and getting the person to take a good, hard look at themselves. It's real easy for people to talk about everybody else, like in their family or at their work or everybody else's problems and how they affect them and hurt them and it's all your fault and if only you stopped being mean to me, then I'd be happy. Cutting through that denial and avoidance and getting them to take a good, hard look at themselves is where the changes actually begin to happen. So when you are afraid of something, first let's back up a little bit. When you are anxious about something, that is your call to consciousness. Then the next thing is, am I anxious about myself? Or am I anxious about something happening to someone else that then I can't fix or change and that might hurt me? Then the next thing you want to say is, what am I afraid of for them? And what would happen to me if that happened to them? So you really have to bring it back to yourself and own it. 
And then asking yourself, am I avoiding dealing with this? Am I in denial about how serious this is and what I should be doing? Am I putting off that follow-up mammogram? Am I saying, well, I can start losing weight after the holidays and I'll start my blood pressure medicine maybe? And, uh, you know, I've been meaning to quit smoking and I've tried and I just can't. So are you doing denial and avoidance? Are you backing up and trying not to deal with your life, but at the same time allowing yourself all this anticipatory anxiety, anticipation that you could die, you could have a painful long death, you could lose somebody you love, anxiety that the people you're worried about or something's going to happen, the anxiety about your financial future. Anticipatory anxiety is a call to consciousness. And you want to be able to sit down and really think it through. So this coping skill of whose monkey is it? Is it mine? Am I worrying about somebody else or am I worrying about myself? And then if I am worrying about somebody else, what am I worried about for me? How do I fit into this equation is really important. The what ifs and anticipatory anxiety, all this stuff I'm talking about, steal your peace of mind. They really harm you and take away your happiness in the moment. I like people to say, what time is it? And the answer is now. And where are you? And the answer is here. So when you aren't doing anticipatory anxiety and you're trying to look at these things I'm teaching you to look at, ask yourself, what time is it? And where are you? Because when you are here and when you are now, you are much better equipped to take care of things that you're afraid of. The other piece of coping skill that I want you to grab is when you find out that you're anxious about something, make a plan. Make a plan A. If the mammogram is bad, this is what I'll do. Um, I've got the bad test result. The doctor wants me back in there. I will make an appointment as soon as possible. I will face it. I will do it. I won't avoid it or deny it. And then make a plan B. So I'm going to go back in for the test. I'm going to check this out. Or if I fail that test I'm worried about at school, I will see what I can do for extra credit. Or I can take the test again. Or I can reapply for my license again and take it again. That's your plan A. And your plan B is, if that doesn't work, what will I do? So look at those coping skills and go back and listen to this and write them down. Because when you're in a state of anticipatory anxiety, what you need to do is break out this paper and say, okay, okay, now what was it I'm supposed to do? Because when we're anxious, we don't think really clearly. All right, we're going to go to break. When we come back, I got something really good to tell you. I'll see you in a minute. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patty. And this is a song from Smoky Mountain Dreams. Randy McGinnis, Native American flutist, incredible musician. And this is a song called A Walk Through My Dreams. Beautiful classical cello. You can go to randymcginnis.com and get his, you can buy his music there. You can go to Spotify 
iTunes, Pandora, Amazon. He's all over the place. He's got six CDs, and every single one of them is beautiful. And they're all different, too, which is really cool. So we've been talking about anticipatory anxiety, and I've explained to you what it is and how people do it and how I've done it in the past. And I, you know, I still will tend to do that because I do um, what my spouse calls I go to the tea store. He calls that the trouble store. And when I can't sleep and I'm laying there worrying, he goes, are you in the tea store? And part of me goes, yes, I have my shopping cart and I'm walking down the aisles and I am loading it up with things to worry about. And it's kind of a joke because it's my cue that I'm doing the anticipatory worry thing. And I will tell you 90% of the time when I'm in the tea store, I am worrying about my kids because moms do that. And I would like to shut off my mom brain sometimes, but eh. It's there. So learning to deal with it is the best thing. So I recognize when I'm in the tea store and I recognize who I'm trying to fix and what I'm worried about and what my sadness is or what my angst is. And then I send angels and then I try to go to sleep. So that's really important and hard sometimes. But we work it. So that's the idea about anticipatory anxiety. Recognize it. Work it. And Learn to train your brain to not go there and to recognize when you are there and get out of the tea store. You don't need to be in the trouble store. It's not productive. It's really not productive for me. And if you walk in there and you find me in there, say, Patty, get out. You don't need to be here. (laughs) I think we have our own personal tea stores, don't we? Yes, we do. Okay. I told you that I was going to share something really fun with you because I think we've really covered anticipatory anxiety well. I have... I'm stepping back into doing my weekend intensive workshops. I started doing those in about 1997, and they are so cool because you come for a weekend. It's a residential thing. You stay where we are, and you um, you check in. You're in your sweats and your grubbies. I mean, this, this is the wear makeup sort of weekend because you're going to cry it all off anyway probably. But it is weekend intensive therapy, and you come on Friday and probably don't know exactly where you're going to go with yourself, but you go deep into your issues, and by Sunday, you have really explored yourself a lot and done some incredibly hard work. There's about 25 hours of therapy in the whole weekend. We work hard. We work deep. You work with more love and support than you've probably ever felt in dealing with your personal issues. It's intense and it's beautiful, and it's incredible. And the reason I've done so many of them, I was doing three or four a year usually for many years until my husband, Rich, uh, got sick with frontal temporal degeneration, and he was really declining. And we had uh, quite a number of years where he was very, very ill before he died. And so I I couldn't pull off doing a workshop again because they take a lot of time and energy, and they take a lot of focus. So I have a following of people that like to come to the workshops because they get a ton of work done. It's very cost-effective. You know, think of how much 25 hours would cost you to do, how much time and energy and money. And the price of a weekend intensive workshop is pretty reasonable, and you get a ton of work done. And you, you bond with people in a really cool way because you really, really know each other. So this workshop is going to be... On the weekend in April of 2020, and it's going to be April 24th to April 26th, and it's 
going the theme of it's going to be called Riding the Dragon. And Riding the Dragon is about facing your fears. What is it that you are afraid of? What makes you anxious? What uh, what kicks your tushy and makes you not function that well in your world? So riding the dragon is about learning what your fears are and learning to ride that dragon instead of that dragon controlling you. So we'll be going deep into the things you fear, taking a good look at them, uh, kind of opening it up and checking it out and understanding it deeply, and then by the last day of the workshop, we are working on how do you do that differently? How do you go forward in your life after this weekend and ride that dragon and make it something that you feel empowered with? So I'm excited to be stepping back into doing a workshop. Um, it's been almost four years since Rich died, and I needed to just get my feet back under me and be really ready to um put in the heart and soul that I put into these workshops. So if you're interested, I should have it up on my website within this week. You can go to my website, patriciabay.com. You can click on it. The size of the workshop is very limited. Um, And you also have to be a pretty emotionally stable person to come. This is not for uh, someone who is out of control, suicidal, um, unmedicated, bipolar, uh, things like that, that where you're really volatile, this workshop could really push your buttons, and it's not the place for you yet. might be the place for you later when you're doing your work. But they're powerful and beautiful, and the healing that happens in the weekend intensive workshops is the reason I love to do them. As you know, doing this show therapy in a nutshell is about trying to help people heal and evolve and change their lives and grow and it's what the weekend intensives do as well. So if you're interested, go to my website. Um, if you've been to them before, like a lot of people listen to my podcasts are people that um, know me and have been to workshops and seen me in therapy and all of that. Um, they're probably doing the happy dance right now because they've been driving me nuts for four years saying, Patty, start doing your workshops again. I'm going, I'm trying. Give me a chance. So uh, email me if you already know who I am and how to do that. And I'll talk to you about it. So, To sum up a little bit about what we've talked here today, it's anticipatory anxiety is about that fear of what if I'm not in control? What if I can't handle what's coming down the pike at me? What if I get hurt? What if my kids get hurt? What if I die? What if I have a long, painful, slow death? What if I can't handle this? What if it is financially beyond my means? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And The anxiety is about trying to be ahead of that game, stay on top of it, uh, do something that makes me feel like I'm in control. And one of the greatest awarenesses of life is that we do have very little control over what's coming down the pike at us. The best we can do is be aware, stand tall, uh, be strong, don't avoid, don't close your eyes, you know, open it up, see what's coming at you, and try not to have the anticipation of disaster, which is what anticipatory anxiety is. So give yourself some peace of mind. Recognize when you're doing anticipatory anxiety. Ask yourself, what am I afraid of? What is it I'm trying to do here by being on top of this and being anxious about it? Who am I worried for? What am I afraid is going to happen? And bottom line always, what is it? Af- what am I afraid of for myself? 
How will this hurt me? And is that a selfish question? I don't know. Maybe. Sometimes. It doesn't matter. Because the reality is, is that we worry about ourselves. Is my heart going to break? Am I going to get hurt? Am I going to lose one of my kids? Is somebody going to be unhappy? Am I going to be expected to fix it and I can't? Those are all the things of anticipatory worry. So recognize when you're in the tea store and asking for trouble that you don't need. And recognize when you're just looking for that peace of mind because you would like to be happy. So tune in to Therapy in a Nutshell on the podcast. You can go to the Anchor app, A-N-C-H-O-R, like the boat anchor. You can download the Anchor app for free. You can access the podcast on Spotify and iTunes. Just type in Dr. Patricia Bay, Therapy in a Nutshell. You can also go to kcnr1460.com and click on the archives, and all my shows are on there on the archives on the radio station. And feel free to write me here at the radio station. We've got, um, you can write on the chat and ask questions and things like that. So thank you for tuning in to Therapy in a Nutshell today, talking about anticipatory anxiety. This is Dr. Patricia Bay, and all we're trying to do is heal the world one hour at a time.
The news from Town Hall is brought to you on KCNR Shasta Reading by Shasta Regional Medical Center. Your life, your health, your choice.